Going to the grocery store right now feels like a minefield and like everybody else is a mine. During the pandemic, ordinary errands, like going to the grocery store, have transformed into dangerous tasks. As we contend with masks, hand sanitizer, and social distancing, simple chores feel like a perilous journey. Now try and imagine how much tougher things would be for you if you suffered from obsessive-compulsive disorder. I do a lot of really quick armchair diagnoses. So if somebody is older and I think they're more vulnerable, then I try and stand as far away from them as I can. But oops, as soon as I do that, I'm backing toward somebody else who might also be vulnerable. For Jason Adam Katzenstein, who is diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder, the threat of coronavirus isn't just about him getting the virus, but also the fear that he may give it to someone else. I end up making a lot of assumptions about everybody else, and my assumptions always tend toward making everybody into the most vulnerable target that they could possibly be, and finding the narrative where my presence is going to hurt the most people the most profusely. I'm Mohammed Jamjoum, and this is The Take. Many people believe they have OCD, or a form of it, when they actually don't. How often have you heard a highly detail-oriented person you know joke that their OCD is coming out while they're feeling particularly neurotic or struggling to perfect a work project? It's become a bit of a catch-all term. But OCD is a real disorder. And for many who live with it, the obsessions and compulsions are no laughing matter. While the coronavirus has brought attention to invisible factors like aerosol transmission from virus-laden droplets or contaminated surfaces, the threat of contamination has heightened fear on a daily basis for many people. But it's a constant nagging persistence for others, like those who suffered from OCD before the pandemic. Today, we're exploring how people living with obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD, are dealing with it since the COVID-19 outbreak. We just heard from Jason Adam Katzenstein, a cartoonist and comedy writer whose work you might have seen on the pages of The New Yorker or The New York Times. He recently published an entire graphic memoir about living with OCD. We'll hear more from him and other people dealing with the disorder later. But first, we wanted to debunk some stereotypes. So we talked to a specialist. Obsessive compulsive disorder is, is actually a fairly major mental health problem, and it affects about 1 to 2.5% of the population. And it's actually considered one of the leading causes of disability in the world by the World Health Organization. Dr. Christine Perdon is a professor of psychology at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. The OCD voice behaves as if it's your best friend and that it's helping you protect 
your loved ones. It's helping you protect yourself. But it's a bully and it's a false friend. It's the friend that tells you that you look great in horizontal stripes. And as the name implies, it's characterized by obsessional preoccupations that create distress. And the person ameliorates that distress with some kind of action that can help reduce distress, but they become very compulsive and relied upon. And over time, they can become quite elaborate and consuming. But in order to better understand OCD, we have to keep in mind that those actions mentioned by Dr. Perdon often manifest themselves in different ways. We always say and nobody has OCD the same way. So we have the two parts, the obsessions and the compulsions. And most people have both. A very small number of people might just have compulsions. We don't know of people who have obsessions without compulsions. Everybody has OCD slightly differently from each other. But there are some subtypes. The first one is contamination concerns and associated with washing compulsions. The second subtype is concerns about the safety of your environment. So whether the doors have been locked, whether the stove is off, etc. Maybe you know someone who washes their hands over and over and over again. Or someone who comes back home repeatedly just to check and make sure they turned off the oven. But there are other lesser-known symptoms. There's a, a third type that is like repugnant thoughts, which there are a number of different types of unwanted thoughts people have. So one type of thought is thoughts of doing or saying something you'd never want to do or say because it hurts you or it hurts somebody else. Another type of repugnant obsession would be a blasphemous obsession. An example of this would be when someone is preoccupied with things like sin and they can't stop themselves from asking questions like, am I right with God? But then there are still other types of thoughts. Sexual uh, repugnant obsessions, and these would be ones of engaging in or thinking about a sexual act that you'd never actually want to do or one that's harmful or exploitative. So, as you can hear, OCD is not so simple. Actually, there's one more way obsessive thoughts can manifest. The final category of OCD symptoms would be what we call symmetry exactness concerns. Yes, symmetry exactness concerns. Just what it sounds like. So, for example, people may absolutely have to have all their spices in alphabetical order. They may also need to have everything at a square angle. So they may have to go around sorting their environment to make sure that nothing is askew. There's so much we know about the conditions affecting people with OCD. And yet there are still so many generalizations made about obsessive compulsive behavior. One common misconception about any kind of mental health problem is that the person is damaged or flawed or weak or untrustworthy or unpredictable in some way. And that's just so not the case. While someone with OCD isn't likely to harm anyone else, the language people use to describe the disorder can be very damaging. I think the most harmful or one of the more harmful misconceptions is uh, people will casually say, oh, I'm so OCD today. Or if somebody says, oh, I have OCD, it's like, oh, well, can you come on over to my house? And sort of, you know, like treating it like it's frivolous and light and, and that it, it's functional. 
And and I think that the people with OCD are really react to that one because when you're in, locked in your obsessive compulsive cycle, it's mentally tortuous for people. Dr. Perdon says that obsessive compulsive disorder is a major health problem for some people, but adds it doesn't define who they are, that people with OCD function quite well outside of the cycle. So that would lead me into the second myth, which is that it's even though it's debilitating, it doesn't render the person incompetent or incapable or weak or challenged. It just makes things harder for them in their day-to-day lives. In these pandemic times, we've all been given new rules to follow when it comes to washing of hands and disinfecting of surfaces. But what's it like to get those health guidelines if you live with OCD? So for us, when we wash our hands, we are maybe following the government guidelines and we finish washing our hands and we don't think about it again. We just assume that we've done what we've needed to do. And the the difference is the person with OCD, the OCD starts to talk to them and say, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure you got that off? What if you just think you got it off and you didn't? And then the person thinks, oh my goodness, that would be devastating. And so they, what they can't get that the rest of us can get is a sense of certainty that they've done what they've needed to do to avert danger. And once you start to doubt, it can become extremely difficult to resolve that doubt. And a not uncommon form of contamination concerns is that people aren't necessarily worried so much for their own health, but they're desperately worried about being responsible for harming someone else. Many specialists say that stress is more likely to exacerbate mental health challenges. In two studies, I saw that 30% of the people had gone right back to clinical levels of OCD and that their symptom severity had actually increased beyond what they had had coming into treatment. Some people might feel, oh, I'm so relaxed. Everybody's doing what I've been telling them to do for years. So they actually may feel a bit better. And we've actually noticed that some of us who treat anxiety problems in particular have found that a lot of people are actually calmer right now for a variety of reasons. Other people may think, oh my goodness, I was right all along and people aren't doing enough and that they could start to get very activated. So while some people with OCD might be having a harder time, others could actually be feeling validated. Researchers know there are two main onsets, during childhood or an early adult onset, which could happen between the ages of 18 to 24. But what about those who've never lived with OCD? Could they potentially develop symptoms during this pandemic? We do know that there are other vulnerable times for people to develop OCD, and one is actually postpartum. So after a woman has had a baby, and that could be for her or for her partner, it's a more vulnerable time than other times. And the reason is that there's a sudden sense of incredible responsibility for something that's very fragile. With COVID, the issue is that suddenly each one of us is very responsible for the health and well-being of those in our, particularly in our bubble but also to everybody. And so I could absolutely see that people with no history of OCD or maybe a very mild or or subclinical or people who have had anxiety, I could see OCD developing absolutely as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. I have no data. I don't know what percentage uh, that would be, but 
I will not be surprised as a clinician when I learn that onset happened after March 12th, 2020. But how are those diagnosed with OCD coping during this time? We heard from some people living with the disorder. Here's what they had to say. This is Claire O'Ching from Kensington, Maryland in the U.S. I wouldn't say that my compulsive behaviors have gotten worse during lockdown. In fact, I would say they've gotten a lot better as the pandemic has provided me with a lot of extra time to work on myself and my mental health. And it's helped especially with um, intrusive thoughts and excessive self-doubt as symptoms that I manage because the meditation and solitude, especially being as increased as it has been in the last few months have just been really invaluable to me. My name is Richard Gilmore. I'm 33 and I'm from the Isle of Man in Great Britain. I've been able to manage symptoms probably better than normal, actually. I've never had any cleaning compulsions, nor have I developed any cleaning compulsions during the pandemic any more than what is recommended. And whilst I have had some contamination worries or obsessions in the past. It, it's not like a general contamination. Usually it's a specific thing. Um, and COVID-19 hasn't affected that at all for me. At the beginning of this episode, we heard from cartoonist, illustrator, and comedy writer Jason Adam Katzenstein. He recently published a book about living with OCD titled Everything is an Emergency an OCD story in words and pictures. We wanted to talk to Jason because his book illustrates in a very unique way his own struggles of living with the disorder since he was a child. Jason, what's it been like for you to see people all around you now engaging regularly in the kinds of rituals that are commonly associated with OCD? You know, hand-washing, Wiping down of surfaces, utilizing hand sanitizer, avoiding shaking hands. Does that make you feel more anxious or less anxious? You know, it does feel like the whole world has OCD right now. And initially it made me feel more anxious. But there is something that's that's very comforting about seeing people treat the world the way that I've always treated the world. So there's this kind of solidarity I've heard you, Jason, describe a feeling of guilt when it comes to possibly having exposed somebody. Could you talk a little bit about that? What are the, what are the guilty feelings that you've you've had during the times of the pandemic? A theme in my OCD that I've had for quite a while: these feelings of guilt and responsibility predate the pandemic, and they would often manifest in ways like, "Did I?" tell some joke at the party that made somebody feel embarrassed or terrible. But now, obviously, the number one concern that I have is about, will my merely being in the vicinity of other people cause them to become sick, maybe intensely sick, maybe die? And that's that's really scary. And some of that I know is OCD, of course, but some of it isn't because it's it's true that this is a highly contagious disease. So if that's something that you've dealt with, these feelings of guilt, does that ratchet up your anxiety level? Yes. I was actually afraid that contamination would be the axis of my anxiety, that 
my contamination fears would flare up a lot because there were so many visible signifiers that that was going to be a concern that everybody had. But to your point from before and what we were talking about, because everybody's reaction to this pandemic has been one of so much vigilance and all of this washing and taking care to wear masks and and not be close to each other, that the contamination fears actually haven't really intensified for me. But the guilt and responsibility ones really have, because you can never be too cautious. Do you feel like people have more understanding now about what it might be like to have OCD? I mean, do you think that the behaviors that people have had to adopt uh, in order to try and prevent the spread of COVID, that those have given them more empathy towards people with OCD? I do think that. And there's the spark of recognition, watching people not just deal with inviting all of these new rituals into their day and all of this new vigilance, but also just this preoccupation with the uncertainty of the whole thing. And the OCD brain will treat everything like that. I think that before this pandemic, it was difficult to explain to people, well, the uncertainty just feels so big and so untenable and so constant that you can never really handle that. And instead you end up making all of these rituals and rules to find little points of certainty within the big uncertainty. People might nod, but if your brain isn't doing that, it's difficult to put yourself in that position. Now, I think that everybody with OCD has a shorthand for how it feels, you go, you know how you're feeling right now? Well, we feel like that all the time. Jason, in the book, you describe your creative process and you say that you don't need to be anxious to make art, but that the way your thoughts spiral can lead you toward creative conclusions. So I was curious, with all this anxiety in the world around us right now, what has that done to your creativity? Has it fueled it? I think the answer to that changes on a weekly basis. I'm in this mode where I just want to put things out into the world, where I just want to take everything that's happened to me and turn it into cartoons or to turn it into this book. Jason has not only been drawing comedic illustrations about the pandemic, he's also been taking a break from the reality of it. It's the complete departure from that that has been creatively rewarding for me right now. And Jason, you know, one of the things that's that's really irked me in the past is that there's a lot of portrayals of characters with OCD in popular culture over the years that are often played for laughs, for comedic effect in a movie or a TV show. Do you feel the same? I had this sort of counterintuitive revelation when I was in group therapy, and everybody would describe their experience, their week their fixations, and people would roast each other, but we weren't making fun of each other. We were making fun of our compulsive behaviors. We were making fun of our obsessive thoughts. The OCD behaviors that are really visible are things like checking and washing. And to somebody who doesn't have OCD, you look at that stuff and you go, why are you behaving in this way? It might be difficult to really understand 
And comedy always has an in-group and an out-group. You always invite people into your circle and you're making fun of something that's outside of that circle. And the reason that I think that's really effective in group therapy is it feels like we're all in the circle making fun of this part of our brain and we feel solidarity and community. But making these jokes on a sitcom, look at this crazy person washing their hands is not bringing somebody with OCD to that table. So we asked Dr. Perdon what people, whether they're living with OCD or not, can do while we're all forced to adjust to this new reality. I would definitely say that for people with OCD, that if you're finding it too hard to manage the OCD, absolutely get help because it's very difficult to resolve that on your own. So for people who are stressed, whenever we're anxious, we become very threat sensitive. And that leads us to what we call vigilance monitoring. But with COVID, there's a very intangible kind of threat, but we still have that same vigilance. And so it drives us to try to look at every news story, follow the media, follow Facebook, follow um, Twitter, etc. But the problem is that it's an absolutely inexhaustible supply of information. So my biggest piece of advice for everybody is to limit your media contact. Do not live and breathe this crisis. We need to live despite COVID. Tune in in the morning, find out what's new, turn it off and go about your day. And I would also say that we have a responsibility to protect each other physically now. I would say we also have a responsibility more so than ever to try to protect people emotionally. And moods are contagious. So if your contact with people is all about your anxiety, about COVID or distress in general, that's contagious. Talk about anything that had brought you together before COVID and try to leave each other uplifted as opposed to more confused and more stressed about uh, the situation. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Dina Kespe, Abigail Oni Wahacha, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilve, Amy Walters, and me, Mohamed Jimjum. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to this episode's description. You'll find extra information about the topic, but also our social media handles. And for more, just go to aljazeera.com slash the take. We'll be back. <laughs>